There's a statement, a phrase that we use uh, in English sometimes, familiarity breeds contempt. Um, and, and so one way to think about that is when we get used to something, we may not value it as much. We get used to it and all of a sudden, uh, it doesn't mean quite so much to us. And, and as we do, would love for you to shout out or, or text online, what are some examples of that where we get used to something and then we might not value it very much? A, that's right. A new car. Yeah, you keep it a little bit and all of a sudden it's just another car. What else? Another person. Yeah, that's good. Relationships. Yeah. Yeah, we get used to them and then it's like we just kind of assume it. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Good health. Good health. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and this is something, some of us, when we age, we start to get lessons that don't just assume your good health, right? But we just take it for granted. What else? Uh, for the newness of each day, yeah, the sun comes up, and we think, oh yeah, there's the sun again. <laughs> Instead of saying, wow, God has provided another day. Anything else? Education, Education sure. Sometimes we complain about it, don't we? Ah. Oh. You know, to think the privilege of setting other things aside and being able to learn. Just like, wow, what an amazing privilege that so much of the world never gets. And yet we take it for granted or worse, complain. Yeah. Anything else? I think food. Somebody challenged me a while ago to realize when I say, God, thank you for this food. I don't just fly over that kind of like, how are you doing? Thanks God for the food. How's your day going, right? And not thinking that, wow, for many people, the food that we eat is an amazing gift. There are things that we get used to and stop valuing. And so the question I wonder about today is, might that happen in Christianity? And might that happen with Christmas? When we, uh, years ago, I had the chance to teach for MSU in Switzerland and we, we lived up in the Alps. First week or so that we were there, it was fogged in the whole time. So you couldn't tell, other than the roads were hard to drive, you couldn't tell anything was there. And then it cleared out, and it's just like, wow, is this amazing? Have you seen this view? And they're looking out a different window and saying, well, have you seen this view? And, and then after a while, it's just like, oh, I'm so tired of all these beautiful views. It's just, can we just have something boring for a little bit, right? We get used to it. And I wonder with the wonder of the work that God did that we celebrate at Christmas, do we get used to it and start to think, oh yeah, yeah, we'll probably read Luke 2 sometime. And you know, I think I've read that before. I know how it turns out. But yeah, that'd be good to do again, right? And we lose the wonder of it. I want to pray today for the work of God to help us to see and to realize the joy of hope fulfilled. So let's pray. Our Father, uh, we are thankful that we can pray. We are thankful that we have your word. Ah, thank you that we have this ancient word we can look at today. And I pray that you would cause us to have the joy that's appropriate for the message that is given. That you do your work in our hearts. And whether for the first time or the thousandth time we step back and we look at this and say, it is an amazing thing that our God has done. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you do this work. You would move in our hearts, 
that you would write on our hearts today the joy of the Lord. We thank you that you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at Jeremiah 31 today. Um, We'll talk more about this drawing in a couple of minutes. Uh, It's just a few short verses, but I encourage you to have that open in front of you. Uh, Jeremiah 31, and there are handouts that um, are available. Uh, They'll be spreading around. We're looking at Jeremiah because we are looking at uh, our celebration of Advent. Uh, These four Sundays leading up to Christmas and then Christmas Day. Uh, And today we look at hope. And so we're stepping back before before Jesus to say what was the hope? What did he fulfill? And uh, so Jeremiah 31, let me just say a little bit to, to set the context. The story of the people of Israel uh, was the story that started out small and built to a wonderful crescendo and wonderful things that was God that God was doing, and then it declined. So it started way back 2,100 years before Christ with Abraham. And God says, I'm going to form a people. I'm going to make you a nation. Don't worry about the fact that you can't have kids. I'll take care of that. I'm going to make a nation out of you. And God gave us promises. And some 700 years later, God sent Moses and had Moses form this group of people into a people. And God says, here's who I am. And this is how you know me. This is my name. This is what it is to follow me by giving the law. And then a couple hundred years later, David became the king and really was the high point that God has now established his kingdom. He's brought peace. The king leads worship, right? What an amazing thing that the king was writing songs of praise to God and together the people saw his goodness. And then it was something like 80 years later, the country had civil war and split into two, into the northern kingdom and the south. And not too much longer after that, The northern kingdom was conquered. Israel was conquered by Assyria. And then a while after that, Judah, the southern kingdom, was conquered by Babylon. And this great experiment of God's people seemed to come to an end. And and during this time of of being conquered by these others, we read in uh, in the Bible uh, three major prophets. Major prophets because they wrote a lot. And so we've got long books from them. And so we had Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel in this time frame when things were falling apart. And it seems that these prophets had three big questions that they were asking. The first one, is there trouble really ahead? And emphatically, they all said, yes. (laughs) If you can't tell by now, there is trouble ahead. And so Isaiah, first half of his book, he says, yes, there's really trouble ahead. It's not just for others, it's for you. And then these two more questions that we'll explore today. What went wrong? Why did this experiment fail? Why is it that God established this land and they had a temple and there was the worship of God and it got wiped away? And in what sense did it fail? So then the question is, what hope is there? Is it truly a failure? Is there nothing more? And so we're looking today at Jeremiah at one of the most amazing passages in just a few verses. Uh, in the middle of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. I invite you to, to read along as we read from verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares 
the Lord. So stop there for a second. God says, the days are coming when I'm going to make a new covenant. There's going to be something new that I do. A new agreement between God and people. He says, it's going to be a new covenant that's not like the old one. Because guess what? They broke my old covenant. The old covenant wasn't bad. It was good. And God did his part. God says, I was a husband to them. I did all that was necessary. And, and this analogy of marriage, of saying God is like a good husband and Israel was like an unfaithful wife. In fact, earlier in Jeremiah, this statement that Jeremiah says, this is unheard of. Nobody is as bad as God's people. <laughs> Jeremiah says, has a nation ever changed its gods? Nations don't do that. They don't have a heritage of worshiping this way and saying, no, we're not interested in that anymore. Set that aside. And now we're going to worship a new God. He says, nations don't do that. Even though those aren't gods at all. But he says, my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. God says, here was the covenant. This was the agreement. It's going to be a marriage. God says, I'm going to love you and provide for you. And the people weren't faithful to God. They went off and followed after other gods. So God says, I'm going to make a new covenant. It's not going to be quite like that one. And so then verse 33 says, here's the new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Simple statement, and yet so profound. Let's just dig in a little bit. He says, I'm going to put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. In the old covenant, it was written on stone. God says, here it is. I'm going to write it down and hand it to you so you know it. God says, now I'm going to write it on your hearts. Earlier, Jeremiah had another image of things written on the heart. Jeremiah 17, 1, he says, Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Another translation says with a diamond point. Right? This is flint that's hard. He says, their sin is engraved on their hearts in a way that you can't get rid of it. He says, these people keep going against me. And God says, here's what my new covenant is going to be like. It's not just going to be written on stone with a chisel outside them. I'm going to put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Right? And, and, and this isn't just saying, so we'll know it by heart. He says, I'm going to make their heart match mine. I'm going to make their heart match my will so that it's an expression of who I am. He says, I'm going to put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. And then he says this interesting thing. He says, there won't be any more evangelism. <laughs> Nobody's going to have to go around and say, you really ought to know God because they will all know me. And see, in the old covenant, we read of somebody who knew God face to face. And that was Moses. And what did everybody else do? They would watch Moses go meet with God face to face. He would go to the, the tent to meet with God and he'd come out and his face would be glowing. And they say, wow, he met with God today. 
Can you tell us what he said? And this is what the priests and the prophets did. They came to the people and said, you should be listening. Here's what God has to say. But it was a special group of people who had that access to God. And he says, no longer are you going to need prophets and priests who come and say, you really should know God. Because <laughs> he says, everybody's going to know me. From the least to the greatest. Right from the ones that everybody looks down on. And in fact, we see in the New Testament, it started with the least. <laughs> it started with those who were looked down upon and had no power and limited education and ability. And yet they were the ones who knew God. God says, they're all going to know me. And God says, I will forgive their wickedness. I will wipe it away. See, one of the things that happened in the old covenant is that there were times when you offered sacrifices so that you would be reminded that there is this distance between you and God still. So you've got to come back and offer more sacrifices. And that was a reminder to say, yes, again this year, we, we need something to bring us back to God again. But God says in this new covenant, you won't need to do that anymore because the sins will be washed away. They will be cleansed. They will be paid for. So I'm going to number these backwards because I, I want to just dwell on these for a minute. He says, I will forgive their wickedness. He says, they will all know me. And he says, I'm going to put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. God says in this new covenant, there is going to be a kind of deep forgiveness that you haven't known before. A, a way in which now you can see this blood of Jesus, this sacrifice of Jesus takes us away completely and doesn't just wash us outside. But to the core of our conscience, it cleanses us. He says there's going to be a kind of relationship that you haven't known before, where everybody has access to the presence of God, to know his love. And he says this covenant is going to be one that has at its core a transformation because the law of God's going to be written on our hearts. Very simple passage. And yet an amazing thing is that this is one of the longest quotes used in the New Testament. In Hebrews, the writer says, that's what Jesus is all about. This thing that was promised, that's Jesus. In Hebrews 9, he says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. He says, Jesus Christ is the mediator of this new covenant. He is the one who is bringing it about who has done what is required. He is the ransom. He is the one sacrifice. And then uh, the chapter before this, chapter 8, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to the old covenant priests as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And he goes on to quote Jeremiah 31. The writer said that Jesus has a ministry that is just an amazing ministry because he is the minister of this new covenant. He is the priest of this new covenant. He is the one who purchased the new covenant for us. So that it's not dependent upon us getting it right. It's because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy in this covenant. 
the big idea is that God's great gift through Christmas is this. This is what we celebrate. Forgiveness through faith in Christ brings relationship with God and transformation by the Holy Spirit. This is what Christmas is beginning. It is this work that is then concluded at the cross that we celebrate at Easter. This great gift of forgiveness through faith in Christ. A forgiveness that is a healing, that is, that is a restoration. This is a forgiveness that is true and deep and deepening. Right? It's a, it's a forgiveness that, well, sometimes I think of my heart a little bit like shoe leather. That once was living and moving, and, but it's become hard and cracked and there's no life in it. And this is a forgiveness. It's the Holy Spirit working in through us to restore a heart to life, to have flesh, to be living and breathing. It's not just God saying, I'll forget those things in the past. It's saying, God, I, God says, I'm going to heal you from these things. It's a true forgiveness that's life-giving. It is, it's a deep forgiveness, not just something that takes it away, but I still wrestle with it. It's a deep forgiveness that is a deepening forgiveness over time. One of the things this church has taught me is that there are things in my life that I didn't know were dishonoring to God. It's as I walk together with others of of different races and ethnicities and, and languages and socioeconomic status, and I realize I have had biases that I didn't know I needed to confess. And I've been forgiven of those things. I didn't have to know them to be forgiven, but I didn't experience the forgiveness of God until I knew there were things to be forgiven. There is a deepening forgiveness through faith in Christ. This brings a loving and growing relationship with God, a genuine relationship with God in a way that God and a human being can have. And it's a mysterious thing, and yet it is a true relationship where there is communion together, where there is communication, where there is love. And it's a growing relationship with God. Karen and I have been married for quite a while now. Is it 35 years? 35 years, I think. Whatever the answer is, it's not long enough. Um, and it's a delight to continue to get to know her, to see ways in which she, God has gifted her to be who she is in ways that I didn't know. After 35 years with another human being, I keep learning. Do you think I ought to keep learning about God? Do you think there's more about him for me to see and understand in his beauty and his goodness? It opens up a loving and growing relationship with God. And it opens up a transformation that is deepening and life-giving with the Holy Spirit living within us. So this is what Christmas started. And the incarnation, the Son of God becoming a human being, to live and then to die in our place and to rise again. This opened up forgiveness, a true and deep and deepening forgiveness through faith in Christ, a relationship with God that is a loving and growing relationship as he loves us, and a transformation by the Holy Spirit that is deepening and life-giving. And yet I think sometimes I've had a wrong view of things or I've experienced things differently. And so here's... uh, Here's the start of the drawings um, in this sequence. See, when we first become Christians, I think for those who have experienced it, it can start with just, this is amazing. This is so overwhelming that God would love me so much. And there's this sense of the abundance of God's love and grace, and it overwhelms us. 
And then we celebrate a Christmas for the first time and we say, this is amazing. Do you realize what this is saying? The son of God became a human being to rescue me. And it has so much meaning and significance. And then after some time, after some time, it may seem as though, you know, we've tasted most of the good stuff in God. There's some more stuff in there, but I got that core thing. And boy, that's really good, isn't it? And yeah, we'll celebrate that again this year. But then the conversation's about, oh, there's some family conflicts when we get together. And it's going to be a lot of work to get together at Christmas. And all these other, oh, but it's going to be really good. And we'll sing carols. And, but all these other things start to be a bit more a part of the story of when we get together. And then I think, sadly, we can get to the point where we just settle for drops of joy in God. We say, you know what, I think, I think the most of this I've got pretty understood. And yeah, I know what Christmas is about. And so it's really special for people for whom it's new. But I've been around this track before, <laughs> right? And then sadly, sometimes we expect little of the fruit of the Spirit, to the presence of God to give us a genuine joy at what he has done. I think what God intends is that we experience something like this that we are invited to dive deeper into the grace, the joy, the wonder of what God has done. Expression in C.S. Lewis, if you know the last story that he wrote in Chronicles of Narnia, he says, God's country is a country we're invited to go farther up and farther in. And we just keep going and it seems like we go faster and yet there's even more territory to cover. We're invited to dive deeper, to dive deeper into the forgiveness of God to the depths of our soul. Right here's, here's something that I've learned is that sometimes, even as Christians, we don't actually want God's forgiveness in some areas of our lives because that means he's going to see it and deal with it. And so we kind of leave some parts of our lives and we say, okay, I'm going to kind of forget about that part. And God says, no, I invite you to bring that part to me as well. And I might tell you, yeah, some things have to change, but that's what this is like that we find the life of God. We are invited to a forgiveness, to the depths of our soul. And this is the work that God is doing as it invited us to. We are invited to dive deeper into a relationship with God that is filled with his love. I think sometimes we're afraid. We're afraid that if I get closer to God, he's going to not like what he sees in me. And we don't really trust his love. And yet we're invited to go deeper into that love and to say, here is a God who to the ends of my being says, I love you and I'm here for your good. And we are invited to dive deeper into the, to the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us and to make us more and more like Jesus. And you know, this, this, this journey of the transformation of the Spirit, it's helpful for me to think of head, heart, and hands. Sometimes I don't even understand God's ways. And so to dive deeper into the Holy Spirit's work is to say, what do you actually mean by love your enemies? What do you actually mean by that? And then the Holy Spirit begins to work in my heart to say, well, that's actually a good thing. Because at first when I hear loving my enemies, I think, who wants to do that? I don't want any part of that. But the Holy Spirit works and says, you know what? That is a beautiful thing. And oh, God, would you make it so that I would actually love my enemy? And then as he does that, it works out to our hands and the Holy Spirit says, so here are the actions. Here's the work. Here's the journey of loving your enemy as God has loved you. Uh, this week, um, had some conversations with Tom, our son, who's not here today. He's working 
Um, but when Tom was born, and, and he said he'd forgotten about this story, when he was born, um, his blood sugar was low. And uh, so it was a journey of, of, he had to stay in the hospital a little longer, and we were trying to figure out what's going on. And, and so one of the things that made perfect sense to Karen and me is to feed him more often, because he needs more nourishment. And actually, the medical staff said, no, that's backwards. <laughs> you need to feed him less often, because he's got to drink more deeply. He's not getting to the good stuff. And so you've got to get him really hungry so that when he eats, he's getting to the richness that's deeper down. And this is what we're invited to, right? This is the journey of being a Christian, is that year after year we're invited to deep, dig deeper, to drink deeper in our God, in the forgiveness that he wants to work in us for the relationship that he wants us to know and for the transforming work of the Spirit. And this is why the command from Paul is to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with this work of God. Because this is what God has done. He's opened up for us forgiveness, relationship, and transformation. And so the application is really straightforward. It's to receive this good news with great joy. This is an amazing thing. Can you imagine God is doing this for a guilty people? God is doing this for a shameful people who are at risk of powers that are too great for them because of their own fault. And God says, I want to invite you into this overwhelming sense of his goodness and his presence. This is why when the angels announced Jesus' birth, they said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And I'm convinced God's intention is that grow, that joy would grow, not decrease over time. Right? With, with the birth of Jesus, this new covenant has begun. And in this is a forgiveness and a cleansing that is to the core. It is a relationship with God that is to be known by one who loves me through and through. And loves me too much to, to let me stay in hardness, to keep my distance, to hide my troubles. He loves me too much to leave me in my brokenness. And it's calling us into this transformation by the Holy Spirit that grows more and more. I'm convinced that for for many of us, there's a part of our soul that we've just kept away from God and we say, no, there's a hardness there, there's a pain there, there's there's shame there, and I I, want to keep that from you. And he says, no, I want to be there. That there's a relationship with God. For some of us, we're afraid of saying, no, I really want this God. I want you to know me and I want to know you. And I want this transforming work of the Spirit. See, I'm convinced that we've got to choose to grow deeper in the gospel and its wonder. It's not automatic. It's not like you become a Christian and now it's just an obvious journey. Because Paul made this statement. God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Christians don't graduate from the gospel. Right? The gospel is the thing we hold on to that we're called called to hold on to as God is doing his work in us. One of the most challenging statements to me that Jesus made, it's really challenging. Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. What does he mean by that? The love of most will grow cold. That there will be a sense where, yeah, I kind of have enough of God and yeah, that gospel, that's good. It's taking care of things in the future for me. But our love grows cold. We forget the joy of our salvation. And so when Jesus sent a letter to the church in Ephesus, he said, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You started out thrilled with God and what he has done. And yet you've decided that's enough. And he says, repent and do the things you did at first. Continue to seek after God in his glory, to find his forgiveness to the depths of your being, to grow in relationship with him and to be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it is an invitation to repent and receive forgiveness. And deeper still as he reveals our sin. And this is my journey. That there's some sins I've been aware of for a long time and there are others I had no idea were there to be dealt with. And God continues this good work. He continues this work of the good news of the gospel. That we are to pray and to worship our holy God, remembering his works and seeking his glory and saying, God, I want to know you more. I want to see you more. Help me to know you. And it's to seek the transforming work of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit says, here's something new we're going to work on. And it's just past week, had conversations back on Monday of this week. And I thought I was doing pretty well in that conversation. And after the conversation, reading in James the next morning, God said, you know what? You've got some work to do. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay. Obeying as he leads, as he speaks, to say, I want this transforming work, and you're doing it. See, God's great gift through Christmas is to open up this true and deep and deepening forgiveness through faith in Christ, a loving and growing relationship with God, and this deepening and life-giving transformation by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Right? Work with this Holy Spirit. It is possible for us to resist the work that God is doing. And so Paul prayed this prayer. I pray that you being rooted and established with love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He says, here's my hope for you. My intention is that you would be filled to the extremities of your being, to every corner of who you are, with the fullness of God by knowing this love that surpasses knowledge. Right? And this isn't just a head knowledge. It's the life experience of the love of God. Christmas opens up this invitation to begin the journey and to continue the journey through a lifetime to say, you know what, a year from now, a year from now, God will have done this forgiving work deeper in me of causing me to know him more and to be more like Jesus because of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. So here's to me, the wonderful, amazing thing we have. Jeremiah just had a glimpse He just had a glimpse of what was coming. 
God said, yeah, this is coming. We know it all, right? We get to see this picture. What Jeremiah had as a distant hope is a lived reality for God's people who are growing in him. It's an amazing thing what God has done in Jesus and he invites us into it. And every year we're invited deeper still into the forgiving relationship of God and the transforming work of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for such great love and what a great plan. We thank you for this new covenant that Jesus accomplished. We thank you for his birth, the son of God becoming a human being so that he could suffer and die so that we'd be forgiven so we trust in him so that we could walk in your love, Father, and that your Holy Spirit would live in us to transform us that we would be more and more like Jesus and become more and more like our God. We thank you that this is a reality. Father, I pray as, as, as we process this today that you do your work in each of our hearts. For some of us, perhaps it is to make the step to say, yes, I want that. I've been around the edges, but I want that life that Jesus opened up. Father, I pray that you would open hearts for that. And Father, I pray, as, as some of us have gotten used to the gospel, this, this good news, the wonder of Christmas, forgive us, Father. Call us farther up and farther in that we would know you more, that your forgiveness would go deeper into our soul, that we would know you more, and that by the Holy Spirit's work, we would be transformed. We thank you that we get to celebrate Christmas again, that we can be reminded again that this is not like the old way, that you will write your law, your ways, your name on our hearts, that we'll know you because you've forgiven us. Through Jesus, our Savior, we pray.